0: hello so on my last episode i left off by saying that i was drowning but the funny thing about drowning is that after a while i learned how to tread water (laughs) i learned how to do the backstroke i know i learned how to do the doggy paddle I learned how to adapt to the water that was sent to try and drown me. And a lot of this time of my life is really like fuzzy for me. There's times and things that I remember distinctly. And there's things even to this day I was just telling my now amazing wonderful husband and we'll get to that later on because he deserves his own podcast oh my god he's such an amazing man but I was just telling him that even to this day certain people come up to me and I don't remember them I honestly don't remember I just feel like there's some parts of my life and my story that may have been too painful to remember, so I feel like God wiped them out of my memory bank. And um, sometimes as people, we do that. Our mind blocks certain things that are just too much to think about, too much to remember. And um, when I told you that I, I dove into the abyss, I went in deeper. I just remember months and months of just crazy things happening. Did I tell y'all that they finally repossessed that car? (laughs) The car that I was driving, my convertible Mustang. Let me tell you something. It's funny how you will try to hold on to something to make you look like you're still all together and for me it was that car for some reason i felt like if i could keep this convertible if i can keep this car nobody will know how bad off i really am because they'll look at me and see me driving this convertible car and they'll say wow she still got it together isn't that crazy yeah but for some of you that are listening it's not so crazy because there's something that you're holding on to too might be your last straw must be the last bit of shield that you have up it may be the last thing that you are holding on to so nobody really really knows what's going on so that you're not left naked and uncovered and exposed but really that's really the best thing that happened to me is when I was left naked When I was left exposed and uncovered, I was out there. Hmm. Because sometimes if we don't realize how bad things really are, and we have something to really keep us covered, we never allow God, the surgeon, to really operate on us fully, because we want to stay dressed. You ever go to the doctor's for a complete exam and tell the doctor, I don't want to get undressed? Well, if you do, then I will tell you that he will not be able to do a complete exam on you. This is how it is when we go before God. You must bear yourself. You must come to God naked and transparent so that he can fully examine us, fully examine our heart and operate on us and do surgery on our heart and on the areas that we try to keep covered up uncover it give it all to God that's what I wanted to do y'all that's what I wanted to do people were looking at me with that look of oh my goodness look at the black sheep of the family that you know that look when they look at you and wonder how things went so wrong. A lot of them didn't have to say anything with their mouth because their expression alone killed me. The shaking of their heads killed me. The shaking of their heads that said, ain't that the pastor's daughter? <laughs> Sometimes people's expressions, mm, 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 mm are just as bad as the words that they speak to you. sometimes the pity that you see in their eye I saw people they had like they had they were pitying me they were like looking at me like in some way like I was some type of diseased mistake, something that just went so wrong that there was just nothing they could do but shake their head. Yeah, I saw that. I saw those looks, I saw the heads turning and whispering. (laughs) I saw the smiles that weren't real smiles, they were just something you felt like you had to offer up. When you're low, when you're in that predicament, when you're in that position, sometimes people think that By saying things to you that aren't fruitful. By the shaking of the heads. They think somehow the criticism and all that stuff is going to help you to rise up. But it doesn't. It just pushes you down further. Stomps you down even harder. And redefines redefines the hurt. The speculation of what you have towards a certain type of people. It redefines all of that. Because at this point in my life, I really didn't really trust anyone. And even the people who I thought that I should trust. Who would be the children of the most high. They disappointed me, (laughs) y'all. They disappointed me on so many different levels. You want to talk about church hurt? a lot of people want to talk about church hurt it's not church hurt it's people hurt it's people who have not yet learned and grasped the true love and compassion of god it's people who are still unhealed and unlearned and they make mistakes because they're not human i mean they are they're only human and they're not God. God is the only one that truly looks beyond all of our faults, all of them, and can still see something great in us. He can still see something worth using. You know, one time I was contemplating and thinking, God, why are you so good? How do you find something good in everyone? How are you so loving? And how are you so compassionate? and the lord told me i'm like a master butcher i'm thinking a master butcher he says yeah do you know what they do they take all the scraps of meat that don't look like they can form a full steak or a full meal and they take all of those scraps and they put them through a grinder (laughs) They put them through a grinder and then they mold them all together and it becomes a piece of choice meat. And that's what God does for us. He takes all of the scraps. He takes all of the imperfections. He takes all the things that other people look at that can't be used. That just looks like you can throw that in the garbage. That's never going to change. That's never going to be useful. He says, no, 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 no. I see something there. I see something that I can use there. And whatever he's going to get the glory out of, oh my God, he will use it. And I knew that God had called me to another purpose. I knew it. I knew that there was something prophetic about me because of the dreams I used to have as a little child. Because of the things that used to happen to me. I knew that there was something there. And I knew that there was something on the inside of me that was fighting against what was there. A war between my members, a war between good and evil. And because I had a taste of who God was just as a young child, I knew that he was real. But it's funny how even though we know that God is real, That sometimes we still choose to do our own permissive will. What makes us happy? What satisfies us in the moment? And then what we do is we take advantage of grace. And I spent a long time taking advantage of grace. Well, God, you're loving and you're forgiving and you're going to forgive me. But then my prayers began to change after a year of being deep in this. Two years, three years. Looking over my whole life and I was thinking, well, I think I may have run out of grace tickets. <laughs> I might be at the point where I ran out of grace tickets. And you know, I thank God for the people who loved me enough to not just talk about me, but go to my parents and say, you know what, I love her, there's something going on here. And You need to know, even though I know they knew that things were a mess. I don't think they knew to what degree. And I was fighting, y'all. I was fighting not only getting tired of treading water. I was tired of doing the doggy paddle and the backstroke. I was tired of treading water. I was tired, tired. But it just became such a normal process for me. I didn't know what else to do. Like, where do I go from here? I didn't want to be in love with anyone. I didn't want a relationship like that. I didn't want anything. I just wanted to try and be a good mother to my son because he was my top priority. And he is the reason, I believe, that I eventually just said, you know what, Mm-mm. this will not be his story. Mm -mm. this will not be his story this will not be his portion but I just remember saying God I'm just tired every time I would get tired it seemed like even though I wanted to give up I would meet a new set of friends or I would meet someone else that I felt they understood they understood me I had my partners in crime where Even when we got to the point where we were like, this is too much, we have to stop. We have to stop getting high, we have to stop drinking, we have to stop partying, we have to grow up. We would do that for a day or two and then we'd go right back to the same mentality. And I think part of what kept me out so long is that I did have the security of my parents. I did know that my son was being well taken care of. I knew all of that. I knew all of that. So in some way I felt enabled in that way. But I knew that their intention was to protect him. And I'm so grateful for that. So, drowning, suffocating, feeling like giving up. I never, I gotta say I never felt suicidal though I never felt like you know what I'm gonna take my life I don't think I was brave enough for that because of how I was raised I kinda knew that I didn't wanna do that but nevertheless even though I didn't want to that's exactly what I was doing killing myself Maybe just a slower process. Maybe by different means. Maybe taking the coward way, I don't know what you would call it, but there was no way I would have been able to keep existing the way that I was. None whatsoever. So they took my car, y'all. They took my convertible, now I'm fully exposed. I'm out there, I got nothing. It just so happened when I left my job, I took an early retirement and huh, I went and got my convertible back. I took that money, I paid the repossession fees and I got that car back because I felt like, uh-uh. no way is anybody going to know my car got repossessed. Got my car back, started back. I had this money now, this retirement fund. Didn't even know what I was doing. <coughs> I didn't even understand how important it was to hold on to that. And the one thing about me today is that I'm a giver. I was the same way, y'all. <laughs> when I was in the world, when I was out there getting high. I took all my money. And every time I wanted to get high. I never wanted to get high alone. I would call up my friends. And I wanted to be the baller. Come over. I got this, 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 and this. I wanted to seem elaborate. And seem like I was still in control. Y'all know how we do. So I never wanted to get high alone. So I would just treat people and give them money and i was still helping people there was still something in me that was just so genuine towards people though i really am just a people person i love people i would love encouraging them and it's so crazy that even in the midst of sometimes us sitting around playing spades and getting high i would be talking about the goodness of jesus I would be talking about how real God is and some experiences I had with him and everybody would be like, no, 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 no. This ain't the time to be talking about that. (laughs) They were like, you're not gonna mess up our high by talking about that. But it's something about the melancholy and the feeling that would come over me at certain times and I would begin to talk about God. Can you imagine sitting around getting high and talking about God, how real he is. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But that's what I did. And at this point, what I was doing is I was making open, empty promises to my father. Don't worry. I'm going to get it together. I want to get my life together. I'm going to change Still making up excuses for him to give me money so I can get high. Anybody that was around me, if they had money, I'm that luck. If I needed to get high, I'm taking it. But my mentality does, oh, I do so much for everybody else. Hey, they owe me, right? It's funny how we can become so self-righteous in our sin. And making all these promises. My father knew that none of them, I meant them. I was just saying whatever I needed to say in order to get out of that conversation and move from that moment. Because I used to hate when I used to have to come face-to-face with him because it was like coming face-to-face with God and reality. And that was a hard mirror to look in. But I would promise him, oh, I'm going to get myself together. I'm going to change not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Started thinking about maybe I should move down south. Maybe I should move away from everyone. Maybe I need a fresh start. I'm going to tell you, if you're in a bad position, sometimes people think that by moving and relocating and doing all of that, that you're going to go somewhere else and magically all of your problems are going to disappear. Well, I have a newsflash for you. They're not. You don't Whatever you don't resolve, it will pack itself in your suitcase and go right along with you wherever you go. It stays right there with you. We have to face our issues and our problems head on. Head on. And we have to resolve them. Don't try to run away from them. Don't try to cover them up. Don't try to sweep them underneath the rug. Uh Uh-uh, you gotta face those demons, and you gotta face those things in your life head on. So, I remember it was going to be my birthday coming up. And I had promised my father that I was gonna get help. I was gonna stop what I was doing, I was gonna be a better mom, I was gonna be responsible. And, He said, okay, well, you're going to go into a program. You're going to do something. And I was like, yeah, 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 tell him whatever I said. But after my birthday, I don't want to do it on my birthday. (laughs) You know how we are. We want our last hurrah. I'm going to do a big after this. This is going to be my last time. How many of you listening ever said that? It's going to be your last time for whatever it is my last time accepting that that's going to be my last time allowing that person to treat me that way it's going to be my last drink it's going to be my last smoke it's going to be my last time getting high so you want to go out with a bang right so i promised my father that i was going to get help and i don't know if i really meant it i think i did this time because i really was tired but he said, he looked at me in the eyes and I said, well, dad, I want to go down south somewhere. And he looked at me in the eyes. He said, absolutely not. I'm not sending you down south or somewhere where I can't keep my eye on you. And I'm thinking, keep your eye. I'm grown. Like I'm grown. I don't need you to keep your eye on me. I'm grown. But in that moment, I felt like a little kid again. And I said, OK, daddy, whatever, whatever you want. And I remember the day when he knocked on my door. (laughs) He knocked on my door and he said, no more excuses. Today is the day. And I knew that he meant business. I mean, I felt like, at that moment, like I was five years old and I was getting reprimanded and I had no choice but to obey. So not only was I looking and did I see my father, but I saw something greater in his eyes. I saw something greater for him to get himself up that day and drive from Stratford to Bridgeport where I was living at and knock on that door. He didn't enter the house. He stood on the porch in such a mm, military way in such a profound way, a steadfast and unmovable way. And he said, let's go, today's the day. And all I remember is my eyes filling up with water and just, I was like, but wait, I gotta get my stuff. I got, when I tell you, he was like, you're taking nothing, no clothes, He said, even that car, (laughs) even that car, he says, that car isn't good for you. Not my convertible. No, dad, not my Mustang. In that moment, God stripped me of everything, my self-dignity, my self-control, everything. He took my car and I was not allowed. My father did not even let me go in the house and take one article of clothing with me when I tell you I put on my shoes and the clothes that I had on that day I got into my father's vehicle and he said you're going to re-entry for those of you who don't know re-entry is a Christian uh, uh, woman's program and um I was like no way No way, I'm not going to a program that's here in town and everybody's gonna see me. I'm gonna be embarrassed. They're gonna know. And he's like, Yes, you are. You're going there so that I can keep my eyes on you. I was humiliated, y'all. I walked into that place and met with Elder Queenie Mims and Sister Fontaine. And everything in me said, Y'all can say whatever y'all want. As soon as my father leaves, I am out of here. I am not like these other women. I don't belong here, y'all. I have so much pride. Oh my God, it was horrible. I don't I don't belong here. I'm not like these other women. I'm not on heroin. I'm not drug addicted like these other women. And there is no way that I am staying here. In that office... The first thing that they do is they lead you through the sinner's prayer and have you accept Christ into your life. And I tell you, I sat in that office with all intention of leaving. Something happened in that moment. I began to repeat that prayer And something on the inside of me changed. Tears began to fall down my face. And I began to weep uncontrollably. Because I had just realized in that moment that after everything that I had been through, after everything that I have gone through, that there was a God that still wanted to accept me and even in that I was like I'm still only going to stay 30 days (laughs) so I went from immediately wanting to leave to saying okay maybe I'll try it for 30 days but in that moment my life was changed and immediately God stripped every desire every taste for Drugs, alcohol, he stripped it from me. Mm-mm. It was a miracle. A miracle. I thought I was gonna have rough nights. I thought that something was going to happen to me that I was not gonna be able to control. But God had me. He had me. Mm-mm. I know I skipped all the way to this part where I was in re-entry, but there's so many other things that happened up until this moment that it would take me probably a lifetime to try to unfold them. But there are some things that also happened to me during this process, during this road to healing. That also became detriment to me. Mm, 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 mm. Never felt like you were supposed to be in a self, a safe place, but you still felt uncovered. You still felt unloved. Mm. I was learning myself all over again. I was transformation that was happening on the inside of me, but it wouldn't come without a lot of tears, a lot of not understanding, a lot of loneliness, and a lot of forgiveness needed to take place. So on the next episode, I'm gonna share with you some of the things that I needed go to God with for forgiveness of myself and for others so now I felt like I was in like a hospital I was in a safe place and God you know I'm on my way I'm on my journey I'm 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 going I'm getting there now but I'm gonna tell you the road to healing is not an easy one the road to healing that's something that they say it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger (laughs) that is true so join me on my next episode as I continue through this journey of healing and restoration and as I share with you the things that I needed to go to God for for forgiveness.